Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is Matt Lavery. Hello again! <laughs> Hi, Matt. <laughs> now, we, those of you who listened to the last episode, we are still in Federation Square two weeks later. <laughs> two weeks later, and yet, it's still going on. The Australian Open is alive and kicking in Melbourne as we record, and it's been a lot of fun. So That's far, been brilliant. So, and it's, it's just a lovely, lovely atmosphere. And it's like a festival of sport and beer and good times. Yeah, but Pims, Matt. Pims, Pims sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Pims is very five years ago. It's all about the Aperol Spritz these days. See, uh, I, uh, I don't buy Aperol Spritz because uh, it's you are not on trend. No, it's because they're an official sponsor of Manchester United and don't want to boost their economy. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What is Apple Spitz, the official sponsor of Manchester United? Yeah, they're, they're an, an official. It's like Dunkin' Donuts are like an official uh, donut partner to Liverpool Football Club. Really? <laughs> yeah. God, you know a lot more about this. I know that Manchester yeah. United now has an official tractor sponsor. Get out. True story. I bet you that was dear. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, we're not here to talk about sponsorship yeah. deals. I love, I love a good John Deere joke so early in a sports podcast. Well done, mate. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, well, welcome. Uh, we're going to spin the wheel and uh, we're going to get on to one of the greatest sports stories ever told. I can't wait. We're, we're battling against some uh, traffic here, but we'll be fine. Let's give the wheel a spin. What are you hoping for? Uh, hopefully, maybe there might be something Australian Open themed. It'd be great if there was a tennis theme. Uh, look, if, look, if the wheel can just by chance throw something up. And the topic for this episode is Red Mist. Red Mist. Ooh, this hello. is pretty exciting, the Red Mist. I've been mist. looking forward to a Red Mist. Well, this is just when people... It's a high-pressure thing, sport. Yes. People pour their life into it and... It gets a little bit tense sometimes. A little but bit. People don't uh, use their, uh, how should we say, emotional regulation as well as they should <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going to go to the Australian Open. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. <laughs> 1990. And there's a player who has probably in the, the downslope of their career, He's won, in total, he'd won 17 Grand Slams. Uh, he, it'd been five years, though, since he'd won his last major title right. in 1985 at the US Open. And, of course, we're talking about John McEnroe. I mean, my favourite. What a star. He, like, John McEnroe, it's so funny to me that he is, like, a moderate voice in modern tennis because he's the pundit. On like, and he comments on other people, yeah. kind of quite behaving. Yeah, he's quite reasonable. He's quite balanced. Yeah, he's really. I mean, he's opinionated, but he's uh, he's not insane. Yeah, I love his uh, opinions, and he's a great pundit. And I love his voice as well, because it's like that. Because he was, you know, he's actually born in Germany. I did not know. Yeah, so his, his, so his dad was uh, in the Air Force, in the U.S. Air Force, and was stationed out in Germany. And so he was born to American parents, and then they moved to New York. Right. But I did not realize he's German. No, definitely did not know that about John McEnroe. And so John McEnroe, he's on the downslope of his career. It's 1990. He's in Melbourne. This is the time when Melbourne at the Open, they, they play on the, the hard court in Melbourne. Right. Um, and it was 
bright green. It was a dreadful, dreadful colour. I did, I always assumed it's always been blue. No, so you look at the old footage, it's this really horrible green. So they paint it like grass. Yeah, it's like, it, well, it's not the colour of grass. It's like really harsh on the eyes as well. And watching it on TV, it's like something has gone wrong with your TV. <laughs> like one of the tubes has gone right. on TV and you're just getting that spectrum of colour. It's horrible I'm to watch. To look that up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you Presumably they still play with the same yellow balls. Yeah, same yellow balls, but I think they were just trying to trick the world. <laughs> was we have grass in yeah, Australia. It was a lawn um, tennis game, but great, like, really so happy that they've turned to this icon- what's become iconic blue Definitely. for Melbourne, mm. which is a much more calm and reasonable colour. Oh, it looks great. Yeah. And it, when you're there live as well, the blue. And on TV, it just looks fantastic as I well. I like the fact you can just now see blue for Australia, green for England, and then <laughs> uh, the, the clay, muddy, brownie, reddy colour for the for the French. Yeah, Roland Garros, is it? Yeah, it's and great. what's the US Open? They play hardcore, don't they? it's blue as well. Yeah. Which kind of doesn't work for what I'm saying. But never mind. <laughs> 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 well, so, sorry, thanks. I really should not have brought up the US Open. No. <laughs> well, I'm an expert in tennis now, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, John McEnroe had many times in his career where he, he lost it. He, yeah, he saw the red mist. It's what we know him for. Yeah. As much as winning. Like the you cannot be serious, the intimidation of his opponents and, and the umpires and line judges. But it was quite special when he was playing um, Mikael Pernfort, who's a Swedish player, who was doing pretty well in the tournament. He ended up actually getting to the quarterfinals. Um, spoilers, it's 1990. But he, <laughs> he, uh, he was playing McEnroe, and McEnroe only came to the Australian Open twice, and this was his first time at the Open. And people thought that he'd done pretty well in the run-up to it. So people thought he was a possible uh, a possibility for uh, taking out the, the championship. So yeah. it seemed he'd got in this game. I, I'm actually, normally I would re- research broadly on a topic, but I'm actually going to just go from McEnroe's words himself and the way he sees it, because I think that tells you more about it. So he wrote about this incident in his autobiography. Okay. Because it was the only time in McEnroe's career that he got disqualified. Right. And it was always going to happen, right? Like, look, the more this incident, I think, shows how much McEnroe is actually regulating himself, even though he appeared not to be. Okay. So considering he never got disqualified and actually no one had been disqualified from a Grand Slam since 1963 so this was such a rare occurrence how did it happen? Well (laughs) he's he's playing Mikhail Pernfort and it's the fourth round. McEnroe says at one set all I disagreed with a call that a Lions woman had made. These poor line judges man I'm telling you they've got the (laughs) toughest job (laughs) he said and this sound, this is his own words, but this sounds so sinister. He says, I walked over to her. Like, why is he walking over to her? Yeah. She's the line judge. She's made a call, which, as we all know, is probably right. But he walks over to her. He then said, I didn't say anything. 
I just stood in front of her and stared at her, bouncing a ball up and down on my strings. Oh my goodness. I, l- that I, is so intimidating. I have watched the, the footage of this, which is available. And it is the That's most. Horrible. It is a horrible. That's like nasty. So he stood really close by with a real scowl on his face, and she's just sat like, she's just like a nice middle-aged lady, and he's like proper stood over her, intimidating her, just bouncing the ball up and down like a schoolyard bully. It is. It's. It's actually That's, really horrible to watch. watch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. just hovers over that large lady. Code violation, unsportsmanlike conduct, warning Mr McEnroe. Well, that's fair. That was uh, very intimidating of McEnroe. It's not nice, John McEnroe. No. And then whilst Oh, he, there's more. So whilst he's doing... that was it. No. So whilst he's doing this, he gets the, uh, the English umpire, uh, Jeff Armstrong, great name for tennis, code of conduct warning Mr McEnroe. So he's triggered the warning so the way it works is you get a warning then you get a point deduction then you get a game deduction and then you yeah. default yeah however the tournaments for the australian open 1990 is the first time that they've reduced this down to three so you get a warning you get a point deduction and then you're gone you're out this becomes important <laughs> because he's got this warning for intimidating the middle-aged Brenda. What <laughs> oh, Brenda? <laughs> he's, he's intimidated Brenda. The, the umpire's She's just passionate left. about her favourite sport. She's now working in it, and she's getting bullied by an, a mean man. Well, McEnroe was uh, called Super Brat by the British media. Yes, I remember. And, yeah. Not because I was there. But <laughs> <laughs> I remember Because you have it. some sense of history. Yeah. So, he said, it seemed debatable to me. And so... I debated for a few moments. (laughs) The umpire prevailed, and I calmed down and won the third set. So he's 2-1 up. He's doing well. He's then serving 2-3 for in the fourth, and he said he hit a a forehand approach wide. He says, on a very hot afternoon, it was 135 degrees on the court, I saw red. I slammed my racket into the ground, and the frame cracked. Now, inevitably, the next thing happens, which is the umpire's English voice, racket abuse, Mr. McEnroe. I love that. Can I just say, I'm sorry to interrupt, I love when they say racket abuse, or even better, (laughs) ball abuse. (laughs) Because that, that is something. The sadomasochistic kind of attitude. uh, Ball abuse. Ball abuse, racket abuse, Mr. McEnroe, point penalty. So it's a second escalation. Code violation, racket abuse, point penalty, Mr. McEnroe. McEnroe, in his own words, (laughs) my anger did not subside. It's almost like the umpire has made him more angry. (laughs) Yes, I can see that. He said, I went up to the umpire, let him know how I was feeling for a minute or two then demanded to see the tournament supervisor. McEnroe's gone full call centre on this, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I did not know there was a supervisor. I thought it was the umpire and nobody else. Yeah, that's it. And he's like, can I see your supervisor? <laughs> As though I he's trying to get to speak yeah. to the manager. I want a <laughs> refund. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so this portly gentleman comes out in a shirt and tie and a, a blazer. So at this point, he's still in the game. So he's still in the game, and he's, he's had stu- his two warnings. He's stood by the umpire's chair, and he's asked for the tournament supervisor, who's probably some Australian bloke. They're like, <laughs> "Oh, Barry, you got to go and uh, they want to see the supervisor." <laughs> it's a, it's so he comes out of his office. And he's like, "What? What have we? What have we got to do here? He's got to face up to McEnroe." Wow. So he goes and explains any crack or damage to the racket is an automatic racket abuse point deduction. Right. So even if he didn't do it in anger, which he did, <laughs> but it's even if he didn't, if he if he hit the ground with his racket and it broke. You've got the punishments. So either really? you're going to get a warning, or you're going to get, you know, wherever you are up in the escalation. Wow. So he said, "Well, that you know, that was just common sense." So. So does he calm down? <laughs> well, it was very hot. It's very hot. 135 degrees at court. So it's not ideal. You know, like statistically, more riots happen when it's hot. I've heard <laughs> like, that. Like so, yeah. in the summer months, it goes off. Like it, it, no one's going out of minus. You know, three having yeah. a riot. So there's definitely something in it about the hot-headedness. So he gets this racket abuse, and then the supervisor comes out and says, you know, you've got the automatic penalty. He said, this is, my, again, McEnroe's own words. This is what I love about this. It's like he's not hiding as the supervisor turned away. Who we've established is probably called Barry. <laughs> as he turned away, I made an extremely rude suggestion in a very loud voice. What did he say? You know, I don't know. Because the footage of it is all bleeped out. That's such a shame. And he, it is even in his autobiography, does not say what he said. A rude suggestion. A rude suggestion. Why don't you go (laughs) somewhere else? Why don't you take this broken racket and put it somewhere else? (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of potential there, isn't there? A few nice suggestions. Why don't you go away with yourself? <laughs> Barry, if that is your real name. A rude ba- Barry's suggestion. Like, Sorry, say it again. A rude suggestion in a He loud said an extremely rude suggestion in a very loud voice. Extremely oh. rude, very loud. At which point, Barry is probably having an inside chuckle because he's probably thinking to himself, I've heard worse from the Sheilas down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> this super brat New York sp- spoiled. Well, he's not a kid. He's like 30. Maybe he called him the pits of the world. <laughs> like in our previous <laughs> called him the pits of the world. <laughs> I suggest, sir, you are the pits of the world. So McEnroe says, there was a gasp in the stands. McEnroe had topped himself. Now, I'm sure he means in the purer sense of topped himself, like he's outdone himself yeah. rather than killed himself. Yes. But also, is this is his autobiography. Why is he talking about himself in the third person? <laughs> John likes this. It's like, what an idiot. <laughs> so, so he said, it was the only other time in my career besides the doubles in 1986 US Open that he had been defaulted. This had triggered this final action of the extremely rude thing that he said suggestion that he made suggestion that he made (laughs) triggered the third fault which is you're gone that's it you're out this is a little crack does that mean there's abuse it's not broken broken is when you can't play with it 
code violation, verbal abuse, default, Mr. McEnroe. Whoa! Game set match point. That's the end of the match. The crowd are stunned. They can't believe it. Now, McEnroe, because all the previous tournaments he's played in, he had four chances. And often he would get he would use three of those. Would he? Yeah. Right. So it, this is the curious thing about it because I think he fully knew what he was doing in all of those previous games. But he, he saw four opportunities. Well, I'll use three. A bit like, you know, what they do with Hawkeye now where they've got the appeal and they yeah. only have so many. Yeah, yeah. And some players just use them to gather themselves even mm -hmm. though they know the result because they need just a little break or a breather within the play. And McEnroe effectively is using these... <laughs> As as a way to kind of meltdowns to yeah. chill out, nice. or not necessarily to chill out, but maybe he's using them in a kind of as he's weaponizing the okay. the kind of system. Nice. And so he's got to the point here where he's screwed himself over because there's three, <laughs> there's three, and he's he's been told but that he's he defaulted he didn't and he's gone. Realize? Yeah. So absolutely. Really. Absolutely. Oh come on now. Here's what he said. He's became the first player in. Modern history to default out of a Grand Slam in the Open Era. He said, I plead idiocy, but I also plead ignorance. If you look at my career, you'll see that in dozens of matches, I took matters to the edge where if I incurred one more penalty, I was gone. However, the one and only time that I went over the edge, I literally didn't realize that the default rule had been changed from four steps to three. At the moment the words flew out of my mouth, I thought, okay, I've lost the game. I thought that was going to be four games to two in the fourth, and I was still up two sets to one. I felt certain that I'd win the match. But when the umpire said, game, set, and match, <laughs> the first thing that I thought was my agent, Sergio Palmieri, had forgotten to tell me about the rule change. But the umpire and the other offici officials at the tennis said, we put posters in the changing rooms. Yeah telling them of this change of course they did but the weirdest thing is is that when they said the the umpire says the you know final default game set and match there's so much confusion because people have sat there watching this game for three hours <laughs> and it's coming to a nice conclusion in the final set yeah and all of a sudden it's just abruptly over well, and so the crowd start booing and Ch chanting for McEnroe, which is quite weird, isn't it? <laughs> well, he's like the villain, isn't he? It's like a pantomime. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, absolutely. He's the heel. So he said, obviously, I can't just say it happened because my agent forgot to tell me about the change. And of course, I have to take responsibility for the whole incident. I truly believe, though, that if I'd known the new rule, I would have contained myself. <laughs> I sometimes went off the rails, but I always knew where I stood. And I think that's so telling. I don't believe him. I don't think you could not know. Why would he throw the game? Because he lost his temper. But he's never done it before. He's, so? a thir he's 30 at this time. He's not a kid. Doesn't matter. But you, like, he, the but red mist had descended. He smashed his racket, got himself worked up, said, I want to speak to the supervisor. How many times did he get the supervisor out? Just once. Right. Well, there you are. So he's, yeah. he's obviously... <laughs> it was a su supervisor from Woolworths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just think he's, he's lost his... 
He's lost you it. His brain scrambled, and he now looks back at it. I'd say it's a bit of cognitive dissonance there, where he's saying, "Oh, this is how I. This is the story I tell about myself." But I'd say at the time he must have known. How could you not know? There's posters everywhere, and I, I, I guarantee of anybody who they wanted to make sure knew, it'd be John McEnroe. <laughs> like, <laughs> you think, think his so, agent would be letting him know, yeah. uh, John, you, you might be susceptible to this. Yeah, exactly. So his, his opponent, Mikhail Pernfort, he almost looked embarrassed because he, you could almost tell that he was like, should we, should we, can we just play on and finish, finish the game? Because he didn't really, you could tell he didn't really just want to have this handed hand to, to him. No, of course. Because of McEnroe's misbehavior. Yes. But it's amazing that, say like in other sports, like say soccer, you have one mis- major misdemeanor and you get a red card and you're done. But McEnroe is an intimidated lines person, smashed his racket and then give a volley of abuse and questioned the authority of the umpire and the tennis supervisor. And only then <laughs> they go, yeah, too much. Enough's enough. That's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, leeway in tennis for such a conservative sport. There is, isn't it? Mm. And what fascinated me about it is McEnroe was going on, uh, I've seen multiple different accounts of him saying it was 120 degrees Fahrenheit and 135 degrees courtside, and this is what had made him hot-headed. The first thing he does once it's called game, set, and match, and he has a bit of a chat to the umpire, and he, he looks a bit... He, he actually doesn't lose it then. He's just wearing his little headband and he takes that off and he just stands there like quite disappointed and pensive. First thing he does, 135 degrees courtside, puts a jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> puts a, je- a shell suit jacket on. Gets his bag on his shoulder, walks out. There you are. Put his jacket on. Come on, John. Too hot. So I, I think it's amazing that McEnroe has only defaulted and disqualified once in his career. Yes. I think it's amazing that he got he used up three chances in so many other games and didn't trigger the fourth. And here he was in this an opportunity in the later stage of his career to win a Grand Slam and he threw it away because he thought he had one more chance. But you you dispute that? I think he I think I think he knew. I think he just from what you've said there. I think his brain was fried. Yeah, sounds like some action over in the. There tennis. is a bit of action in the tennis. We're actually recording whilst uh, Rafael Nadal is playing the young man, the Greek, Greek guy who S- knocked out Federer. Yes, that's him. I'm looking at you, Matt, to uh, <laughs> tell you his name. <laughs> tell you, tell me his name. It, it starts with a T and then an S. And yeah, Google it. Uh, so, <laughs> so an amazing kind of episode at the Australian Open and probably about 15,000 fans in the arena that short-changed somewhat yes. by McEnroe's poor behaviour. Yeah, for I sure. I think he was only fined about six and a half grand as well. It's still quite a lot. Yeah, but considering like that all those people have bought tickets and they've been short-changed, yeah. I feel like they should work out the percentage and the charge. Because some of those tickets, they retail a lot, like hundreds of dollars yeah, yeah. for the tennis. So... I don't know. We'll get a compensation scheme for John. But anyway, there's John McEnroe. And this is a guy who was previ- previously mentioned tennis superstar Nick Kyrgios. He's actually told him that he should calm down. Oh <laughs> <So my goodness. laughs> um, 
Nick Kyrgios, yeah, he, 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 he's a character. He, he likes to lose his temper. Yeah, and uh, this is where I wonder, is there an art to losing your temper? Well, and not actually for Nick Kyrgios, because he's not going to win anything. <laughs> <laughs> just, just I, think, I think it was McEnroe who said Kyrgios has to decide whether he wants to be a champion or a clown. Yeah, and he's definitely a clown. I watched him play the other day. He was doing it between his legs, around the back. If he went 30 points down to love on the other guy's serve, it was like he made a decision. Well, I'm not going to win this game, so I'm just going to muck around. Like, wow. he wasn't bothered. He was just like, yep, that's fine. You're, you, you get the game, and then I'm going to serve, and I'm going to win, and hopefully next time I'll be able to break you. The beauty and, I suppose, the difference between, like, a Kyrgios and a McEnroe is McEnroe was very talented, but he was a winner, and he won stuff. Yeah. And he's, he won a huge amount. Mm. And even though he had this unsavory element to his game... He was a draw card and exciting to go and see because you knew that he could lose it. He had the red mist would descend. Yeah, box office. And yeah, and that I, I really find his intimidation as a line judge really um, distasteful and re- it watches really badly now uh, and probably the then. But I do find it entertaining. He's <laughs> like that. He's such a like a preppy American frat boy kind of idiot (laughs) as well like the way he comes across but also he's just a bloody good player what he is like and you do wonder you know you see all these players who do self-talk so like Andy Murray was a big one for it come on Andy come on yeah and he's like be shouting at himself and stuff like that you do it it is strange that (laughs) because I know it's an individual sport but you don't see golfers do that. Oh, mate, I do that in the kitchen when I drop a cup. I'm like, come on, Lavery, what's the matter with you? <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll shout at myself for I'll doing daft things like that. serve you right for uh, playing tennis with cups. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quite clumsy. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. A little walk down memory lane for the Australian Open. Recorded during the Australian Open Absolutely. in Melbourne here in Fed- Federation Square, right in the centre. So... It's been a pleasure to record, man. It's been an absolute delight, man. And who, who, who knows what the wheel will throw up next time? I can't wait to find out. If you follow us on Twitter or Instagram at the Wheel of Sport, and yeah, get involved. And we'd certainly like to hear some suggestions of episodes or incidents, or you can even correct us on some of the facts oh, please, we may have got wrong. Please correct us. <laughs> we may have got wrong. So we'd be more than welcome to uh, get in touch with us. And we'll see you next time can't for wait. the greatest sports stories ever told on the wheel of sports <laughs> lovely <laughs> trying to like ESPN it up yeah. really good <laughs>